Amen. Amen. Yeah, we can. We're allowed to clap and say praise God. That's all right. That's all right. Good morning, church. All right. All right. Now, how many of you have been to a wedding or time or two? A wedding? And you know how it is. The couple's there gazing lovingly and longing to each other's eyes. And there comes a time for hopefully they have some scripture reading. And what scripture do you always hear at a wedding? Apparently, you don't go to weddings. So. <laughs> Love is patient and kind and cheerful. Love keeps no record wrong. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And if they read the whole thing, Paul has this section there where he says, you know, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. I thought like a child. It's much more fun if you participate. Okay, friends? All right. I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish ways, and now I think like a man. I think differently. In other words, he grew in his thinking. How many of you want to grow in your thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So this, I was thinking about, like, think about how did you used to think when you were a child, when you were in high school, when you were a kid, how did you think? Are you willing to share it? (laughs) Probably not. Let's see, I'm thinking back to my junior year in high school. Let's see, what did I think about? Girls, athletics, athletic girls. (laughs) Even better. Yeah. And so I go there, and Dr. Phelan was my physics instructor, and today we're having a class. Oh, my gosh, a test. Oh, my gosh, a test today? I'm not ready. And so I start worrying, and this is the way my mind works. I didn't study for the test. I'm going to get a bad grade. That means I'm not going to get into a good college. That means I'm going to marry the wrong person because I'm not going to meet the right girl because my right girl is at the right college where I'm supposed to be. That means I'm going to meet the wrong girl, and then I'm going to have the wrong kids. (laughs) And then they're going to need braces because they're going to have buck teeth. (laughs) And then I'm going to spend the rest of my life paying for their braces, and I'm not going to have a good job. And oh my gosh, I got a headache. And oh my gosh, it's probably a brain tumor. And oh my gosh, my mind's just going away. I have runaway fears. Is anybody else with me? I'll give you an example of this. You know, I, I've been, uh, I, I try to go to the athletic club. I try to run on the elliptical. It's supposed to be low impact. But lately, I've been, the last week and a half, I'm having tremendous back pain. I can't even sit down right. I got a heating pad. I'm taking ibuprofen. Nothing's really helping. So, uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to start swimming. Swimming. So I go to the athletic club yesterday. I said, I'm going to swim. In my mind, I'm Michael Phelps. <laughs> so I, I am hyper-competitive, friends. Okay, I was raised by a dad who said, and I've said this before, show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. So <laughs> I, I get in my lane. They have the Olympic-sized pool. It's a long, it's, it's, it's a long, it's a long, if you've ever been to the athletic club, it's a big pool, right? The big lanes, you know? So I get, there's an open lane. I get in the lane. I start swimming. To my right is this woman who looks like Superwoman. I mean, she doesn't have any flab on her whatsoever. She's got this, the swimmer goggles on. She's got the thing. She's got the nose plug. She's got the kickboard. I'm like, oh, I'm going to, you know. So I start doing my strokes, and she just blows me right out of the water, just right down the lane. I'm thinking to myself, okay, don't look over there. Don't look over there anymore. Look to your left. Chubby little Mexican kid. I'm going to whoop his butt for sure. No, no, no. He just goes flying by right by me. I'm like, forget it. I'm slow as 
crap. I mean, slow, slow, slow. And so it was totally depressing to me, okay? And in my mind, I'm thinking, everybody's watching me. In lane five, look at the slow preacher, lane five. <laughs> and they have those windows where everybody in the elliptical can watch you just flounder in the pool. I had one guy halfway through my workout. Are you okay, son? No doubt. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. This is the way my mind works. Just me? Okay. All right. All right. I thought that was funny. Anyhow. So how many of you can relate? You ever have irrational fears, runaway fears, irrational thoughts, right? So here's what I want to say. Your mind will either become, right, it'll either become the prisoner in which you're trapped or it can become the passport to some new destinations and a new way of thinking and new way of living because the most important things in life are the thoughts you choose to think. So in this series, we're thinking about what we actually think about, knowing that the most important decision you'll make today is what you choose to think about. And the basic premise of this series is, look, if you change your thoughts, you will change your world, and then when you change your world, you can change the world. So, because if you're going to start, it starts every battle is won or lost in your mind. We know it's impossible to have a positive life if you have a negative mind. Are you with me? All right. And the problem becomes when your mind races with negative thoughts and irrational fears. So today, I actually want to start with a good thought. I want to start with the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to do something we don't normally do, but I'm going to ask you to stand, even at home, if you're watching at home, to stand for the Word of God. We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4. And the context of this reading is that Paul is in prison under house arrest awaiting execution. Oh, joy. What would you write? help. <laughs> Get me out of here. But this is what Paul writes, and we're going to read this all together. You're all going to be the scripture readers. Let's read it together. If you're at home, you can read it to be on your screen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your... <gasps> What will it do? It's your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. And the peace of God, the peace of God will be with you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you do just that today, that we take whatever is heavy on our minds and heavy on our hearts. Lord, we know that there are some people in this room that are facing serious health challenges. We bring it before you. We cast our cares before you. Some of us are facing financial cares. Some of us are facing relational cares. God, we know that you care for us. And God, as we seek you, we ask you to renew our minds with truth. God, we cast all our burdens on you, believing you care for us. Give us the peace of heart and peace of mind, even beyond what the world would understand. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and everybody said, amen. So look at the person next to you. Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. Look at the person next to you and give them a high five and say, peace be with you. Come on. All right. Type that into the chat if you're at home. Put peace be with you. Maybe somebody said, get you some peace. Go ahead. You know, if, you're, if you're on the chat, type in, get you some peace. Go ahead. Get you some peace. All right. All right. You can be seated now. You can be seated. All right. We're doing a little bit of the Catholic thing today, standing up and standing down, okay? All right. If you remember a key thought from the series, a key thought 
is your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, which is really good news if, you're, if you've got good thoughts, but it's really bad news if you have negative thoughts, okay? Because, and we've been talking about science and scripture. And for this series, I read a couple of books on neuroscience and neurotheology that are just fascinating because God is the God of science. God created science. We don't have to hate science as Christians. God's a God of science and of mind. And there's this little almond-shaped portion of our brain known as the amygdala. Amygdala. Let's all say that together. Amygdala. Because it took me all week to learn how to say it properly, okay? Amygdala. It looks like amygdala, but it's amygdala. It looks kind of weird to me, but apparently this is how you say it. I Googled it. I checked with Siri. I called my brother-in-law the doctor. It's amygdala. Are we with me? Okay. All right. All right. And here's what's interesting. This little almond part of your brain is wired for survival. It's what keeps you alive. If you ever find yourself in a moment where you're like, fight or flight, this is what is the cause, okay? It is your amygdala. Anytime you're in danger, the amygdala kicks in. And it says, be on your guard, be alert. It's danger, 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 and run if you have to. For instance, last year, I was mowing my yard, and I don't like to weed eat. Does anyone here like to weed eat? Come on over to my house, 6421. <laughs> and she, she raised her hand. Okay, I hate weed eating, so I'm doing the lazy man's mow, which is where you try to mow as close to your fence as you can. You're lifting up the mower. You're trying to get all that grass down so you don't have to weed eat. I'm just, I'm, I'm just mowing along, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a snake jumps up with the high grass, jumps up, hits my leg. For all I know, I've been bitten. I'm, de I'm dead. That's all I think. <laughs> it hits the mower and goes across the yard. Now, I start running like an eight-year-old girl, screaming, cussing. I make it to the pool. I'm walking on water. For the first four or five feet, I'm, I'm actually walking on water across the pool. I sink into the pool, and I think I'm safe. I turn around, and the snake is in the pool with me. My amygdala, I'm just it's in overload right now. And I'm thinking to myself, this is how Renee's going to find me in the pool with a puffy face, dead. You know, that's it. Life insurance, pool boy, you know the whole story, okay? So that's what happens. Your amygdala goes into full overdrive, and it's fight or flight. Or you've ever been driving, and you're almost in a wreck, and you feel the sudden rush of adrenaline, right? Okay. Uh, like the other day, I had some idiot, and he's, you know, he's an idiot. He's a child of God. God bless him, but he's an idiot, okay? And he's driving, and he's on his phone, and his car's all over the place. And Renee's like, you're going to wreck my car. I'm like, calm down. So I told Renee, hey, calm your amygdala down over there, okay? Which is really helpful in marriage. Try that this week, okay? Tell your spouse to calm their amygdala down. All right, anyhow. But your amygdala says, be careful, alert, there's danger, there's all sorts of things. For instance, have you ever had, like a couple weeks ago, my alarm went off at night, your, your alarm at your house, and, and it's because your kids are trying to sneak out or do something stupid, right? The alarm goes off, and my amygdala kicks in. There's someone in the house, get the gun, right? That's what happens, okay? Are you with me now? So your amygdala goes into hyperdrive, right? It is what goes fight or flight. The problem with your amygdala is it's not objective. It's just simply hardwired to protect, and it's very easily triggered, okay? And again, I'll give you another example of this. When I was a little kid, 
My family used to love, like my mom would go to organ practice or choir practice or whatever she did at the church, and my dad would say, okay, dinner's on me, and my dad didn't cook, so he always took me and my sisters out to a place called Big Boy. Does anybody remember Big Boy? Yeah, who here remembers Big Boy? Let's bring back Big Boy, huh? Right, the big, the big little kid with a big platter of the burgers and all that. So anyway, we're driving back from the restaurant, and unbeknownst to me, my dad had gotten into an argument with someone at Big Boy, and this guy was kind of cuckoo, and he followed us all the way home, okay? And I, I, my dad really didn't know what he did to offend this guy, but I remember my dad going, I don't know what this guy's doing. So he's driving erratic behind us and everything. Of course, my dad, of course, does him a favor and drives right to where we live. Really good. Okay, anyhow. So... <laughs> So this guy gets out of this van. He's in this white, shady-looking van, okay? And he gets out of the van. He starts messing with my dad, calling my dad names. My dad's not one to back down. You know, he's very hyper-competitive. So, so my dad, he starts to try to start fighting with my dad. My dad was pretty strong, pretty, pretty, shape, pretty in shape, you know, dude. So, so my dad starts waylaying on this guy, and the guy starts backing off. And so he quickly runs back to his white, shady van, gives my dad the number one finger salute. You know what that is, right? Tells him he's number one. You have ever had that happen? Anyhow, and then he starts talking about his mother and all this. So, so my dad is like, you know, don't tell your mother. <laughs> yeah, that's what he says. But of course, I'm like seven. So as soon as mom gets home, mom, dad got in a fight with a guy with a white shady van. Yeah, he followed us all the way home. So then my mom like starts giving me the briefing. And she puts my, my amygdala on high alert. She's like, okay, there's a man who knows where we live. And he drives a white, shady van. So if you ever see the van, come get mommy or tell daddy, okay? So till I'm like 18, every time I see a white van, <laughs> right, I'm in hyper alert. My amygdala goes off. This is what happens with people with PTSD. Veterans come back from combat. They see a flashing light because of the cameras taking a light of someone running a speed light. And they think, oh, my gosh, I'm back. Their amygdala says, oh, you're, you're alert because... This is what it looks like, flashes of, of, of gunfire. Are you with me? You see why PTSD shows up. So the medical goes into hyperdrive, okay? So to balance us out a little bit, God gave us something called the prefrontal cortex. And this is the part of your brain that thinks logically, right? So if there's a noise at night, right, the amygdala says, oh, my gosh, it's a robber. You're going to die. But your prefrontal cortex says, nah, it's probably the cat. Maybe you should get rid of the cat. God doesn't love cats. That's what it says. This just me? And you're not going to die. Okay. There's a very logical explanation. The amygdala is all panic. The prefrontal cortex is all logic. Are you with me? Yes. All right. The problem is the amygdala only responds to pre-programming. In other words, if you had my experience, you tend to believe that all white shady vans are shady and they have that dude in there and he's probably still hunting me down at this point. Or what about the red van? He could have painted the van red. <laughs> you never know. Your amygdala is always working at rational thoughts, right? And so what happens is we get a fear or we have something happen to us or there's a man that abuses you as a child and then you're, every time you see a man... You think this could be a potential abuser, and your amygdala goes in high alert, and you have anxiety, or you're in a situation uh, that triggers anxiety because you were in that situation before, and something bad happened, so your amygdala goes off, and this is why people struggle with anxiety. Are you with me? 
I'm trying to explain some of the neuroscience behind this. So Paul is in a Roman prison, not exactly the best circumstance, and he says, and I want to read this again, do not be anxious about most things. Is that what he says? No, he says, do not be anxious about what? Anything. This could be your big test. This could be your your medical diagnosis. This could be your job interview. This could be a health situation. It could be a financial burden. Don't be anxious about those things, anything, but in every single situation. In other words, look, if it's on your mind, it is already on God's heart. It is already there. And he cares about you more than you can imagine. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, what do you do? You present your request, hey, God, this is what I'd like, to God. And when you give your burdens, the things that weigh you down, the things that make you feel small, the things that, that make, make your day feel long, you give those to God, and there's this transaction that's promised, right? And Paul is saying this in not the best of circumstances. Paul is saying, I'm in the worst circumstance, and guess what I have? I have peace because I've given this to God. I've given my future to God. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding, and it will guard your hearts, and the most important part, it will guard your your mind. So, his peace, his peace will guard my mind. His peace, the peace of God, will guard my mind. And it's crazy to me how often we undervalue the value of prayer, okay? Uh, when we sing worship songs, we're really sort of praying twice, okay? Every song that we sing is based on Scripture, and it's a prayer. It's a prayer. We are constantly in prayer. And I, I hate when I say, see Christians who say to me, well, all we can do is pray. Or they text me, I'll say, hey, if there's anything you need, and they'll say, well, all you can do is pray. Like, like good luck with that. Like, I'm not sure it really works, but that's what you say, so just try it. And I can imagine God saying, uh, hello, prayer works. What did Jesus always do when he faced a challenge or a circumstance? He always went to go be alone with God, and what did he do? He prayed. If the Son of God has to pray, surely we have to. Hello? And he wasn't praying like, oh, God, take all these circumstances away. He was praying, God, build me up. Give me strength so I can face the cross. Give me strength so I can face and love these people who don't love me. Give me strength, right? So many of us pray for stress to go away. Stress is always going to be in your life. Don't pray for stress to go away. Pray for strength. Pray to become stronger. Pray to become better because life's not going to get easier. Prayer doesn't make life easier. Prayer makes you stronger. This is the God who can move mountains, the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And if God raised Jesus from the dead, he can bring to life anything in you, and he can heal you, and he can bring to life. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is not a last offense. Prayer is our first offense. And that's why the author of Hebrews said, hey, look, come, come boldly before the throne. Think about this. I've thought about this. When I was, when I was six years old, I would wake up. And I would ask my mom and dad, can I get something to drink? And they'd say, sure. And they'd, t- t- they'd go over to the fridge and they would get me something to drink. They were the king and queen of my life, my parents. Only, only children of God know that we can approach the throne, the king, at three in the morning with a request, and the king will say, here you go. 
You understand that? That's, that's phenomenal when you think about that. And here's what I want to share with you, and this is what I really learned from studying for this series. And this is what I love about preaching. This is what I love about teaching is I like to read. I like to stay fresh. And then I, act like, I get up here and act like I've known it all along. But I've really just learned this. Okay, so I want to share this with you. Prayer not only moves the heart of God. I already knew that. But prayer actually changes the chemistry in your brain. I did not know that until recently. I'm going to say this again. Not only does prayer touch and move the heart of God, but prayer also changes the chemistry in your brain, which is fascinating to me because for decades, neurologists, right, I studied this, and when I was in college, they taught your brain doesn't change until after adolescence. How many of you are glad that your brain changed after adolescence, <laughs> right? Stuck at 15 forever, right? Uh, I'm glad my brain didn't freeze when I was 15. My mom used to say things like, boys don't have brains till they're 21. And then she said another thing that I can't say on, on camera. I'll tell you later. Our brain, here's what we know. Your brain, regardless of your age, continues to evolve. And it continues to change. And it actually continues to rewire itself. It's called neural pathways. And we've talked about neural pathways. Neural pathways is once you think a thought, it's easier to think that thought again. And just like you walk on a certain patch of grass in your yard a hundred times, it becomes a path. So you have neural pathways, billions of them in your brain. It's called neuroplasticity. And it means that your brain is constantly rewiring and evolving in itself. Now, I actually have been studying something that's new. It's called neurotheology, which is actually the study of the mind and the study of God and the relationship between them. And it's known as spiritual neuroscience. And what neurology and theology does is studies the relationship between your brain and belief in God. And here's what research shows. And I read a powerful book by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. You ought to read this book. It's called Switch On Your Brain. Switch on your brain. And she talks about what I've been talking about for three weeks, which is the power of your brain and your thought life to direct your life, okay? She says, and this is the most powerful quote in the book, it's been found, now this is a secular neurologist, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Hello? I don't think you heard me. Not only does prayer touch the heart of God, it changes your brain. Just as toxic and negative thoughts can harm your brain, right? We know the amygdala can harm your brain. I see a van. I don't want to go there. I see a swimming pool. I have memories of chubby kid beating me in the lap pool. Come on. A secular scientist is saying prayer literally changes your brain. And this is astonishing. This is really astonishing. In other words, if we do present a request to God, Paul is saying God's going to give us peace. And guess what? It's actually going to change your brain. This is, this is fascinating to me. I, I don't, you should be like going, wow, oh my gosh. If you're at home and you think this is great, put wow, oh my gosh, because right now I'm not sure anybody's awake right out here. <laughs> Thank you for the token wow. I appreciate it. So our little, <laughs> our little almond part of our brain that says protect, you're in trouble, you better take control, you better work harder, 
That goes into overdrive. You experience something that causes you to worry. You have a medical diagnosis. You have a financial problem. You get your mortgage statement and says, your escrow's gone up. You're paying more taxes this year. It happens every year in Corpus Christi. You're paying more. And you look at it and you go, oh, my gosh, we got to come up with a, another $1,000 this year for taxes. This is great news, honey, great news. And your little amygdala goes into hyperdrive and you start worrying and you start saying, oh my gosh, I got to stay up till two in the morning and I got to work harder and I got to do more weddings and more funerals and it's only going to get worse. I'm just sharing with you some personals. <laughs> Science would say you're experiencing amygdala hijack. Scripture would say your mind is being dominated by sinful thinking. In fact, what is worry? Worry is actually a sin, but it's a sin in the church that nobody ever talks about, right? What are our favorite sins to talk about in the church? Come on, Baptists in the room, come on. I saw them drinking and smoking and dancing. Oh my God, they're going right to hell. <laughs> they are, I saw it, I saw it all, right? You know how, you know, you know how Baptist who's got a beer in his hand enters the door? The beer's behind the door, huh? You want to make sure, <laughs> I shouldn't go there. I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. My prefrontal cortex is taking over right now. So what happens? We worry. We worry. What is worry? Worry is a sin. Nobody ever says, you know, hey, hey, um, I, I know how it happens in the church. This is the, way we, this is the way we gossip in a church, right? Have you heard about Lee? I'm concerned. I have a prayer concern, Pastor, about Lee. I saw her. She's buying liquor. She's smoking. She was at the dance hall all night. Well, what were you doing there? I was just observing. <laughs> I was praying for her outside the club, but I saw it happening. And we, 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 we talk about this, right? That's the way it is. That's the way gossip is. But we don't ever say, you know, uh, Lee's main problem is she worries too much. I'm picking on Lee because I know her and I love her and she's not going to get upset with me. I'm, I'm not even going to worry about whether or not she's going to be upset with me. <laughs> but, but, but we never say, oh, you know, the main sin that person has is worry. You never say that about anybody. But actually, worry is a sin. It is, worry is simply not trusting in the goodness of God. Worry is simply saying, you know, I don't really believe God thought of me before the beginning of time. I don't really believe I'm going to be okay, even if I die. I think that uh, God's not going to take care of me in the next life, or God's not going to take care of me tomorrow. I don't think you're going to come through for me, God, so I need to handle it. So what do we do? We pray, we give something to God, and then we go in the room and go, God, I got it. Thank you. I can say you're not doing enough with it five minutes later. Is it just me? In worry, we let our sinful nature run our mind. We can say, you know what, I'm going to capture a thought, I'm going to give it to Christ, and I'm going to let the Spirit direct my mind, the logical part of my mind, the prefrontal cortex. Say, you think on what is true, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy, I'm going to put my trust in you. Again, Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul says, those that are dominated by a sinful nature, right, if you let your amygdala run crazy, you're going to think about sinful things, and sinful things are I'm not trusting God. That's a sin. Do you ever see in Scripture where Jesus runs around worried? 
And Jesus hurried off and was worried about the future. You'll never read that. That's the book of illusions. Okay, you're never going to read it. Okay? But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Again, this is why Paul says, you may not be responsible for every thought that comes in your head, right? It's a little bird that lands in your head, but you are responsible for whether the bird builds a nest. You can say no. You can choose and take that thought and say, is this a thought that God wants me to think? Is this a worry that God wants me to have? No, I'm going to give this to God. Are you with me, church? I'm talking about how you guard your thought life. From a scientific standpoint, we're going to let our prefrontal cortex grab the amygdala by the tail and say, you quit being irrational. We're going to choose to be spiritual. We're going to give everything that we might be worried about, we're going to give that to God. Why? Because if you don't control your mind and surrender it to God, someone or something else will. (coughs) And that's the reality. Excuse me. So, I'm not going to let my sinful, fearful, dishonoring nature run my mind and go in the wrong direction. I'm going to choose to let the Holy Spirit direct my thoughts. I'll give you a visual example, right? Um, Lots of times we worry. So I have a couple of uh, boxes in my office. I have one box that has emails that I've kept over the years that have been like, uh, or letters or cards that have meant a great deal to me. People have uh, said, you know, how a, a sermon touched their heart or touched their life or something like that. And, and so I've kept those in a box. But I have another box uh, that I would call uh, the God box. And when I, um, when I have a worry, when I have a concern, when I have something that I don't know what to do with it, I'll write it down on that on a sheet of paper, and I'll put it into the worry box, the God box. Are you with me? Yes. Now, it could be a shoe box. It could be any box you can put the word God on. You can keep it secret, whatever you want to do. It should be private. It should not be something your spouse goes through. It should just be your box, you and God, okay? If you have a box that says God on it, that means you don't go through it, right? Unless you're the one going through it. Nobody else, just you and God. So anytime you find your mind racing, anytime you find your amygdala going crazy, you find yourself worried about it, you get out a sheet of paper, you write it down, and you say, okay, God, I'm giving this to you. Then you, you wait a few minutes, and if your mind wants to go back to that worry, you go over to your box, you pick it up, you pick out the sheet of paper that has that worry, and you write on it again, God, I'm giving this back to you again because I did not trust you the first time I put it in the box. And you put it back in the box. And what are you doing? You're symbolically and physically, you're trying to guide your thought life. Are you with me, friends? This actually works. You can actually do this. And you can actually write down things like, God cares for me. God loves me. God will never quit loving me. God will never quit loving any of you. Okay? All right. So, and again, the reason is because runaway fears and irrational thoughts happen all the time. Have you ever had your spouse show up late or, or they, they don't show up and they're late and they always call or text? And what does your mind start doing? Oh, my gosh, they're in a car wreck. What happened? Why are they not texting me back? What's going on? Or have you ever handed the keys to your car to your 16-year-old kid? This can generate the amygdala going into hyperdrive, okay? Like, oh, my gosh. And, And then your insurance calls you and says how much it is when they have the keys, right? And your megalo goes crazy. And so you have to say, God, you know what? You love them more than I do. I'm trusting my kids with you. 
The hardest part of parenting for me has been letting go of my kids. That's the hardest part, letting them go, knowing I've done a good job and shooting the, the arrow out of the bow. That's what Scripture says. Kids are meant to go. Marriage is meant to stay. Get out. <laughs> Mom and I, you go. Make something of yourself. Make money. Go, 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 go. Are you with me? Just me. Okay. <laughs> oh. So other things I write down in my worry box besides, you know, irrational fear. Sometimes I, sometimes I worry about leading a church. Do I have what it takes? Um, can, I, can I avoid uh, um, colossal mistakes? Can I, can I avoid misrepresenting God, causing an embarrassment? I'm constantly aware of social media and the presence I love when people put on social media, it doesn't matter what I do at work. You can't fire me for what I do on social media. Oh, yes, we can. Yes, we can. If your job demands integrity privately and publicly, you can get fired. Hello? You care about what I post. Trust me. So I have to be aware of that. And I don't want I, I, I to, like, be one of these pastors that lets the whole church down. And I've seen it, complete moral failures, right? Colossal failures. And I study it. Why did they have a colossal moral failure? Why? So we have to worry about it. We got to write that down. I, want, I don't want to be that person, okay? Are you, are you with me? So those are some of the things I write down in my, in my worry box. I want to make sure I lead the church well. I want to make sure I'm a person of integrity. A person of integrity means what I do privately and publicly matches, Right? So let me give you three big thoughts. Everybody say three big thoughts. All right, type in three if you're at home, just so I know you're with me. So when it comes to worry, when it comes to the amygdala, when it comes to what's going on in your mind, I want to give you three easy steps that you can do. The first is I am always, when it comes to a worry or concern or burden in my life, I'm always going to do what I can do. Okay? So that means if you have an exam coming up, and you know you have a test coming up, I'm going to study. Yes, I'm going to trust God for a good grade, but I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to study. If I'm trying to get in better shape and I'm praying about my health, and people want me to pray about their health all the time, right? Will you pray for my health? Okay, well, let's pray for your health. Well, I'm going to do what I'm going to have to eat right and exercise, right? So I'm going to do what I can do. Are you with me? Right? I went to Whataburger the other day, not a place you need to go if you're praying for your health, okay? Yeah, it tastes good, wonderful, yeah, okay, I know what Renee loves, okay? She's going to kill me, but she loves the number one, uh, you know, sub mayo, okay? That's it, no cheese. That's it, Renee's the number one girl. I don't know what your number is. Everybody's got a number, don't you got a number? You got numbers, yeah, I know. Okay, anyhow, I'm at Whataburger with Renee, she's got a number one, and I see this guy, and he's going to lead his family in prayer. And when you pray in public as a pastor, I lean in. What's he saying? He's got like a double meat, double cheese, two onion rings, large fry, big size, water size Coke. What prayer are you praying? Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. There's no way God can nourish your body with that. It's going to take a miracle. Come on, it's a sin meal. You shouldn't even pray over cheat meals. Everybody's got cheat meals. Don't pray over your cheat meal. Just pray, Lord, pray, Lord forgive me. Please, Lord. <laughs> so, 
seriously, this kind of spurred me. I thought, you know, we need a Whataburger prayer. So I, I thought to myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a Whataburger prayer, and I'd like to share it with you. Do you all want to hear it? I don't care if you do or not. I'm going to do it. All right, here we go. This is the prayer next time you go to Waterbury. I'll send you a copy if you'd like. This set me back a few minutes to put together, okay? Lord, my soul is ripped with riot, incited by my wicked diet. We are what we eat, said a wise old man. Lord, if that's true, I'm a garbage can. To rise on judgment day, it's plain. With my present weight, I will need a crane. So grant me strength that I may not fall into the clutches of cholesterol. May my flesh with carrot curls be dated, that my soul may be polyunsaturated. And at old margarine, I'll never mutter, for the road to hell is paved with butter. And cream is cursed and cake is awful, and Satan is hiding in every waffle. Beelzebub is a chocolate drop and Lucifer's a lollipop. Give me this day my daily slice, cut it thin and toast it twice. And when my days of trial are done and my war with Whataburger is done, let me stand with the heavenly throng in a shining robe, probably size 42 long. I can do it, Lord, if you'll show me the virtues of lettuce and celery. Teach me the evil of mayonnaise and of fries and onion rings always. And those chips and queso, Tex-Mix, South, food from the deep South. Lord, if you love me, please shut my mouth. <laughs> Amen. All right, there you go. There you go. Yeah, so. So, look, you're going to do what you're going to do, right? You got to do, if you're worried about it, right, I'm worried about my health. We'll do something about your health. I'm worried about my finances. We'll do something about your finances. Don't just say I'm worried about it, you know, I, Follow Dave Ramsey, get on a program, get a budget, do what you can do. The second thing is we're going to give God what we can't do because all of us, what creates worries is how am I going to deal with this? And we all have stuff that we don't know how to deal with this. So we're going to give that to God. I'm going to trust it to God. I'm going to give to God what I can't do. And I'm going to trust God because of who God is, because of God's character, because of God's nature, and, and I'm going to cast my cares upon you and give to God what I can't do. And no matter what, because of your goodness, your promises, your faithfulness, I'm going to trust God no matter what. So imagine, imagine, because God says it's possible for your life to be this way, for you to have the fruit of the Spirit. An apple tree produces apples, an orange tree produces oranges, and Christians, you're supposed to produce peace and love, and gentleness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control, and against these things, no such law. Galatians 5.25, the fruit of the Spirit. God says, that's possible for your life. Not worry, and your amygdala running crazy, and fears, and panic. So, we're going to review our three weeks of study. Are you ready? Say review. All right. If our life is moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, do you like the direction your thoughts are taking? Because I didn't. Because for so long, my thoughts were dominated by negative, self-thinking, self-defeating thoughts. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to measure up. You're never going to be tall enough to ride the ride. You don't have what it takes. I can't keep up. I'm always overwhelmed. Well, if you don't control what you think, you'll never control what you do. Because whatever comes in your mind tends to go out in your life. So what do we do? 
we identify a stronghold. What's a stronghold? That is the dominant lie that we've been believing, where the spiritual enemy is taking us away from the truth of God, and where we identify that dominant lie, like, I'll never measure up, or I'll never be good enough, or I'm not pretty enough, or I'm not thin enough. Whatever dominant lie is in your life, and everyone has a dominant lie, you take that and you say, you know what, I'm not going to believe that anymore, and I'm going to replace it with the truth, and not just any personal practical truth, but I'm going to replace it with the truth of God. And that is, God says, I'm a child of God. God says he loved me and knew me before I was born. God says he'll always love me. God says he's going to love me in the next life. God says I can do all things through him. Those are totally different than the stronghold. Are you with me? So you're replacing it. And then what do we do? We confess it until we believe it. And that truth, that truth then sets us free from the stronghold. Because you remember, a stronghold is a prison. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. Are you with me? And so then my mind is renewed. And how do I renew my mind? Well, I seek first the kingdom of God. I seek Jesus first. And I exist to serve him and glorify him. And then Christ is in me. And Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. And I write it down and I think about it. And I think about how the same power that raised Christ from the dead can live in me and be in me. And I can have that power. And I can declare what is truth. And I can confess it. And I can have a God box. And I can write down my worries. And I can give those to God. Because the sermon in a sentence is, look, you cannot change the direction of the wind, but you can adjust your sails to reach your destination. Right? Life, you are a sailboat in life. You can always adjust the sails. Okay? And what's the main sail? Your mind. You're not hostage to your unhealthy thoughts. You can take them captive. Because the weapons you fight with, Paul says, are not weapons of this world. You have spiritual weapons to destroy uh, and demolish strongholds. And what do you do? By the power of God, you demolish every stronghold that sets itself up. And so you begin to see, you know, worry is a sin, and worry is a master, and it doesn't need to master me. And I can replace worry with trust. I don't have to tremble. I can trust. And then I start having the peace of God, and that peace of God starts to guard my mind and guard my heart, and I become different. And people look at me, and they say, you know, he's different. And you're not a slave to your habits. Okay. We also know you can't always control what happens to you, but you can't control how you frame it. Remember, we talked about this last week, right? When someone hits you from behind and they wreck into your brand, wife's brand new car that you just got done paying for in eight months, and you're proud that you paid for it in eight months, and they wreck into it, and you call your wife and go, hey, honey, some lady just wrecked into me, and, and her first question, her first question is, uh, is not, are you okay? It's, how's the car? That is a person that learned how to frame things properly. But you can frame it the right way. It's a car. It's insurance. It's a hassle. They're paying for it. I'm okay. She's okay. Nobody's hurt. Cars are replaceable. You're framing it. Are you with me? Again, we're going to interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. And then as followers of Christ, we're going to cover everything in prayer. And we're going to recognize that prayer can only change our relationship with God. Prayer changes our brain. Prayer changes the way we think. And then we have this thing called the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, and it guards your heart and your mind. Oh, my gosh. I want to end this uh, message with an email I got from a church member. Here's what they wrote, and I love this. And I love the fact that they're in the room right now, and they didn't know I was going to address it. But here we go. Pastor, I've been working on controlling my thoughts, and I've been reading God's Word, but when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, that sounds too simplistic. 
Telling me not to worry about tomorrow makes me think about and worry about tomorrow. Can you help? And they're here, and they know what I wrote. And here's what I wrote. The reason we worry is because we can't control the future. The one thing we all have in common in this room, I don't care how much money you have, I don't care how healthy you are, I don't care what you have going on in your life, no one in this room can control the future. And we're usually fine right now, but it's the next series of nows that we're worried. I'm fine today, but what about tomorrow? And we're usually fine today, but we're always worried about tomorrow. And Jesus comes along, and Jesus has the audacity and says the outrageous statement. He says, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Just focus on today. Because it's all you can do. Because you don't even have tomorrow. And you don't have yesterday. Jesus looks at us and says, stop it. Quit it. Don't worry. But I know what you're thinking. You're saying, but Jesus, I'm a responsible adult. Someone has to worry. I hear this when I counsel couples. One person looks at the other. They do all the worrying for me. How's that working out? Well, the person doing all the worrying doesn't really like it. And then they say, well, someone has to worry in the relationship. Someone has to worry about our finances. He doesn't. What if no one worried about it? Well, pastor, that's ridiculous. You're being sinful. Oh, I can't believe you called me sinful. Well, Jesus would say you're being sinful. Oh, I think not. I'm going to another church. <laughs> the church of Our Lady of Perpetual Worry. That's where I'm going to go. Jesus says you can plan. Jesus says you can, you can plan. You can, you can set aside some money. Yeah. You can anticipate. You can prepare. But no, you don't have to worry. You can do what you can do today, and then you can trust God for what you can't do. And, and here's the third thing. Here's the third big thing that you all have to do, and you have to decide this, is you have to trust your Heavenly Father for tomorrow. Not because you know what's going to happen tomorrow. When have you ever known what was going to happen tomorrow? Not one single day of your life. Nothing's really changed. You're just thinking like an adult now. You start thinking about tomorrow. Because when you're five, you never went up to your mom and dad and go, hey, you know, I'm kind of worried about the spelling bee in a couple of weeks. When you're five, you don't do that. Because when you're five, you know how to live in the moment. But when you're 55, you're like, I'm worried about this something happening in two weeks, but you don't have to. You've just become more aware of the reality of tomorrow. Jesus says all you can do is be in the now, and you ultimately are going to have to trust somebody else for tomorrow because you don't hold it. You don't hold it. Jesus says you can trust your heavenly Father for tomorrow. He's already in tomorrow. He already knows your tomorrow. He loves you tomorrow already. And if you do that, right, then you have this thing called peace. You're not getting hijacked by your amygdala. You're like, oh, peace. Because God has me today and God has me tomorrow. And God's the same as he was yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I'm still going to be in God's hands. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to be with God. I don't know what heaven looks like, but one day I'm going to be with God. And that should give you peace. Or you can worry about it. And you can clutch your sheets. 
And you can gasp your last breath of air, and I've seen lots of people do that. Or I've also seen people die who said, I'm trusting God for tomorrow. And every day, what does God say we have to do? We have to die to ourselves and trust, because Christianity is not about trying harder. It's about trusting. Uh, More next week, of course. We're just getting started. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks that you are the God of peace, that you're the God of love, that you're not the God of anxiety. You're the God that gives us peace. And God, we're going to, this week, and even right now, as we think about what is that burden, as we think about what we're dealing with in our life right now, for some of us, it's a health challenge. For some of us, it's finances. For some of us, we are in a dead relationship, and we want life. And we know that involves forgiveness and reconciliation and swallowing pride. Lord, whatever we're facing, we're going to write it down, we're going to give it to you, and we're going to do what we can with it. Whatever that is, we're going to do what we can. We're going to take the steps to do what we can. And then as we look at the steps that we can't do, we're going to give that to you, God. And then finally, Lord, we're going to recognize that, you know what, this life is not about trying harder. This walk with Jesus is about trusting which is why Jesus said to the disciples, come follow me. He didn't say, here's the whole itinerary. He didn't say, here's the whole map. He just said, follow me. So as we trust you and we follow you, God, in the way that you lead us, we're going to trust you for today, for the next hour, for what's going to happen today at 5 o'clock, for what's going to happen tomorrow at 5 o'clock, and for every day, we're going to just trust you, God. Because ultimately this life is one of where we live with trust or we live with trembling. And I don't want to tremble. I've seen that. I've done it. So it's time, God, that we begin to walk the way of trust. So give us that strength to trust. And we know as we do that, we'll be given that peace, that peace, that peace, that peace. That will guard our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, our very souls. We pray this in the name of the one who taught us all this. As he says now and said to the disciples, as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and control our thoughts by singing praise to God.